pleasure to be here and I'm sorry I came a little late this morning and if I walk funny I have a really bad back from all this flying so um, so Greg actually pushed me just arriving yesterday <laughs> to open this which I do with pleasure and I know that half of you or maybe not quite a biologist and uh, so we'll see and please interrupt all you want <laughs> I know. And we had a very good discussion at, at lunchtime also about this. All right, so I go back in time. Actually, I go back in time to work I did with James 30 years ago, almost 28 years ago. That was my first paper. That's your first. On the first, your first topic here. Exactly. <laughs> and I even have a picture from our paper, but very far down. <laughs> but. Um, so the whole idea is that uh, I have worked, as I said this morning, a lot of uh, oscillations in cells. And this looks maybe something like this. We look at genetic networks as we also touch, I come to it. In particular, this uh, transcription factor called F kappa B that's very important. And these, under various uh, conditions, uh, can oscillate. Uh, here's NF kappa B oscillating. And the whole idea is we would like to put an external signal on and get these to couple, and then you obtain what's called Arnold tones. I come back to this. Uh, so that's kind of thing I would like to promote to you guys in biology, because it could be even more useful with a little bit of thinking that it is in. It has been very interesting in physics, but everything worked. I mean, I'll show what James got. We got to incredible detail. But maybe one can use it in biology to control cell, cell dynamics and things like this. But uh, I talked with uh, Greg and um, we agreed I should do a little bit introduction on, on these oscillations we have, have looked at. <coughs> and in biology there are a lot of oscillators. Cell cycles, circadium, calcium, embryos, proteins, and so on. They are actually a fauna of oscillators. And therefore, I think this kind of approach could be interesting, at least to some extent. So we have looked at these famous transcription factors, NFKB, B53, and WIND. And it's all, they are all, you all see oscillations in these systems by, regulated by negative feedback loop. And they have a very biological, medical, whatever, uh, application to inflammation, apoptosis, and segmentation. <coughs> And I have a, we have done a, one study on the NF-kappa-B system where we'll take an external cytokine oscillation and couple to the internal. And there you will see that you can get these oscillators to synchronize. And I'm going to define these Arnold tones very specifically in a second. And when you see this, you can also actually drive the system into chaotic attractor, which I think you biologists should be able to observe pretty soon. So with this extra cellular signaling, maybe it's a way to really control the cell dynamics in more detail. Very recently, we have uh, worked with we alone. We have looked at um, whether you, by an external signal, can distinguish uh, a, a kind of nonlinear, very nonlinear oscillation from a linear noisy oscillation. So I'm going to define this. We talked a little bit about it yesterday. Owens, is, yes. it always, is it always clear what's an external and what's an internal? Uh, because if you're good saying point. cytokine is an external, well... Of course, you also have internal cytokine, yeah. But we put an external cytokine on in addition to the internal, which do not oscillate, kind of constant. But it's, uh, yeah, many. 
interesting thing, things here. Actually, they started with um, James and mine, old uh, supervisor Leo Karanov, because a year ago I met him and discussed how come biologists do not look at this interesting problem. So we wrote a review that's not published yet uh, about to, 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 to try to, to promote this kind of idea. And uh, just uh, this summer, I did a work with Sandeep Krishna by this uh, cytokine, uh, and it's kind of just published. And there's a very, very recent preprint uh, we are on where we have this idea that you can really use entrainment. Actually, the, I think, do you biologists know the word entrainment? Because that means that you have an internal oscillator and external, and they couple. And entrain means you can pull one with the other. Um, and I show a lot of that. Anyhow, uh, over the last five years, I had a lot of students and postdocs, in particular Simona. <laughs> are you going to come back to entrainment? Yes, absolutely. All the time. Whether the phases are equal or are the derivatives of the phases? Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's a good question. So, yeah. Okay, but this kind of thing actually <laughs> was first observed many years ago by Huygens. He was lying in bed with a fever, I think. And he had two uh, clocks on the wall, and he was just, you know, lying there, and suddenly he realized that they tend to synchronize, right? It's like two metronomes on a piano. <clears throat> and for some reason, he made this drawing, which is not on the wall. It's two, two chairs, it seems, and, and you see some very fancy <laughs> drawing of clocks here. But uh, this is the whole idea that these two clocks can oscillate, but they can interact through the, the wood here. And so it's an old story. It's a very old story. Do you have a copy of the original publication? No. I Actually, I think Leo. I've tried to find it, and I've never been able to find it. We have three weeks, James. We <laughs> but actually, I got this from Leo, though. He found it somewhere. But I think this, uh, this probably is on the net, this, uh, this drawing, right? You found that? This one? Well, I haven't looked. No, okay. Be new. I, mean, uh, I think I got this from Leo, but anyhow, yeah. So when you have two oscillators, just to say it very generally, you can have kind of three different dynamics. This is what we call phase space. You just plot the different variables as a function of time. It's called the trajectory here, right? I, I don't know how basic I have to be. But anyhow, if you have two frequencies and they lock to each other, um, lock means that, that you see here uh, this frequency is a double of that. And then you go into a periodic solution that repeats. But you can also have two frequencies that do not lock. And then you get what's called quasi-periodic motion. That simply means it never comes back to the starting point. And what's very interesting when you have these two frequencies, you can get, they, can, they might interact in a way that you get a chaotic response, which some of us has looked a lot at many years ago. But I think it's time you biologists get into this. So these are the three, three basic dynamics we have. And uh, this is <laughs> the Arnold Tung diagram. I I'll go slowly, but I just wanted to flash it here. So here the idea is this is an external frequency, and you have an internal frequency. And you can find uh, that the one I just showed you before was 2 to 1, like 2 external to 1 internal. It's called the Arnold Tung half. And this is uh, where the two frequencies are equal. And so they can lock to each other each time the ratio between these two frequencies is a rational number. I know for some people this is hard to imagine. And what's, what's shown up on the y-axis is the coupling strength between the two frequencies. So it turns out 
that say that the, the, the internal and external frequency couple are completely equal. They couple to each other. But as you couple them stronger, they uh, couple in an interval of the external frequency. This is called entrainment. This is called entrainment. So the internal frequency couples to the external in an interval of external frequency. So you pull the internal as you vary the external. This is called entrainment. And I have found two recent biological papers I come back to by Jeff Hasty, a very nice experiment in San Diego, a science paper, just I think a year ago. And Goldbeta in Brussels has a very nice entrainment of cell cycle to circadian rhythm. I'll show that later. But uh, it's hard to understand this diagram, and we come back to it. So I just wanted to give you, and this is what James looked at a lot in several years, actually. Anyhow, let's uh, step back a little bit. So I tried to make the story up to where I would like you guys to be, if possible. Let me just ask how generic are those diagrams? Uh, very good question. <laughs> they are very generic. That's, that's, that's the issue. They are very generic. Actually, in, in physics, we say universal. Why? Because if you have this phenomenon, you would have it. You would have all, all rational tongues. How hard it is to imagine you will always have them. If you have two, you will have them all, I think. It's not a mathematical proof. It's very generic. They will always widen with the coupling. And of course, it might look uh, uh, a little more uh, for, for real experiment, like the fluid we looked at many years ago. Maybe it's, it's uh, you can say, uh, what is it we call it, a uh, kind of rubber band uh, um, distortion of this picture, but a continuous distortion. It's very robust. So the geometry could be a little different, but the geometry? topology, topology must be this. Yeah. <laughs> must be this. And that's why. And now I talk this summer to Jeff Hasty. He's, he is, uh, some of you might know, he's really interested in understanding uh, in biological terms is because he, if you have two, you will have them all. This requires no linearity. Yes. So it's, this, this is the issue I come to. It's <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if it's, you can also have entrainment if it's linear. But then you will o only see what we call the integer resonances. You will not see this. It's a really good point. And actually, the, kind of my main message in the end, yes? You get all rational numbers? Yes. All, and here I used to tell my student uh, in my class a point, and then they fight for two weeks. And I even think yesterday I got David Gross to think uh, quite a lot about it. Uh, maybe we wait, but let let me indicate. The thing is, for each rational number that are dense on the real accessory biologist, uh, all tongues widen. All tongues widen, as you can see. But the rational numbers are dense here. So in any epsilon interval, no matter how tiny, there will be an infinity of tongues widening. They do that without overlapping. How the, so is that possible? And my students always say it's not possible because they lie dense and they all widen. I claim they do that without overlapping. But there is a different infinity of them, so it's fine. Yes? I mean, it's measure theory. It's measure. It's measure theory. Uh, you are right, but still, the rational numbers are dense, but they have zero measure. Yeah. <laughs> the irrational numbers I have mean, full measure. And what happens is, on this line, you have the complement. Think about this. On this line, the rationals has full measure. They're all there. The irrationals are still all there. They have zero measure. 
the complement of the real axis. Yeah, and that's a universal also. Now we got into a little mathematics here, and I'm very happy to discuss with you. But you know, most people will not say it's so simple as you said. Anyhow, um, so in biology, we already heard a little bit this morning, but I don't know how much we'll come back to that in this, uh, in this program. Anyhow, we have many oscillators, cell cycles, circadian, calcium, embryos. We heard a little bit about that, pacemakers, protein oscillations, population dynamics. There are lots of oscillators, and the more I look into it, the more I see. And uh, I will just give you a little bit basic. Uh, so a basic oscillator is if you have a negative feedback loop. And of course, we all know that in biology, we have a positive regulation or negative regulation. And when do you have a, you have a loop? When do we have a negative feedback loop? If you have an odd number of, of negatives, you have a negative feedback loop. If you have an odd num even number of negatives, you have a positive feedback loop. You cannot have oscillation in a positive feedback loop. You have a switch. In negative feedback loop, you can have oscillations. What's the simplest one I can think of is you have a, a protein that regulates itself uh, back negatively. I show an example of that. Maybe with a, some time delay, because if you just write up equations for this, you get a steady state. But if you increase time delay, you go from damped oscillations to sustained oscillations. This is a very famous circuit by a man who is running around in this house. Ooh. <laughs> We here this afternoon, Stan Leibler invented this 10 years ago called the repressor You had three uh, negative, uh, you had three proteins that has a negative influence uh, of another gene, of another protein, and the messenger RNA here. And it's a very nice paper by Elowitz and Leibler 10 years ago. And here is another one. Uh, <coughs> There's a po one positive, one negative, and a self-regulation. You can also, also oscillate. And we have looked a lot at this thing. You have one protein that pro, pro, uh, promotes another protein. However, they bind in a complex. But when they bind in a complex, you have less free here, and then you have less production, therefore a negative loop. We call it saturated or enzymatic degradation. So uh, this kind of uh, circuit can oscillate. And uh, I got interested in this, um, I think, nine years ago when I saw this paper in Science on his one, uh, oscillations from mouse embryos, I think. Mouse a chick and taken out in a culture, and you see that the, here's the messenger has oscillate, and the has protein itself oscillate over roughly half a day. So these are now fairly old, but I took this as an example, I hope, for you uh, biologists to show that you can write very simple equations. So here you have the has protein that goes in and blocks its own gene, but if it's free, you can read the gene and you get the, and the messenger that. Trans, uh, translate to the protein again, such that you have the negative loop. And we write two differential equations. The simplest, it's the simplest system I can think of. Of the level of the Hess protein as a function of time and the level of the messenger uh, derivative with time. Now, the production of the messenger is proportional to how often this is free. Because if it's not free, it cannot produce. And then uh, degradation term, very simple, uh, de decay. And the messenger translates directly to the protein and uh, a degradation term. So it's very, very simple. And I guess you biologists know uh, differential equations a little bit. So it's 2D differential equation. It will not oscillate on the face of it. However, if you put in what we call a time delay, and why do we put in a time delay? Because it makes a lot of sense, because this circuit here takes maybe around half an hour or something. 
and um, therefore it makes uh, a, a lot of uh, sense to put in an explicit time delay as we do here. Here you see that you calculate the probability that this operator side is free and that's going to be 1 over the concentration of the protein. You do a kind of michaelis menten calculation, not difficult at all. And you see the higher the level of the HES1 protein, the less likely is the production of the messenger, and so on. And uh, we could read off, for instance, uh, the degradation terms is known. So once my student Guido, Tiana, some years ago, and uh, we could reproduce the experimental data extremely well by this uh, simple two-dimensional nonlinear time-delayed uh, model. Actually, we could, uh, you see here, obviously, this is the peak of the messenger, and around 20 minutes later, or whatever, comes the, the peak of the protein, which, of course, should be this. And we could get exactly this phase uh, difference uh, out, and so on and so forth. So I just wanted to, what we do now is more sophisticated than this, but uh, this, I think, I hope, is, is fairly clear. What's the origin of the heel coefficient? Ah, that's because, good point, it binds, there's cooperativity in the binding uh, here. You need two or three uh, S proteins to bind here. And uh, what did we take four? Yes. Four. Ah, okay, uh, two, two, <laughs> two to four, you need, you need to bind. And it does that. So this uh, is called heel coefficient. This is a number comes in here because you need a certain cooperativity at the binding site in order to, to, to block the, 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 the promoter. Okay, any more questions? So what we have done the last five years is look a lot at the D53. I guess everybody knows it's very, very important for apoptosis, cancer, and so on. NF-kappa-B is maybe just as important for inflammation. And the wind is also appearing in all kinds of... Uh, um, genetic systems as we look at it in, uh, in terms of uh, somite formation in embryos. It also appears in many other places. And so basically I had one graduate student here, one graduate student here, <laughs> one graduate student here. So, um, uh, so we started out with a full network, kind of, as is quite well known actually. Uh, so I will not go so much in difference. And here we play physicist, and we reduce these networks. Is it known logically why they should also? Like, Sorry. Why should P53 and F have to be also? Is there? A very. Uh, do you ask uh, the reason for it, or? No, not the mechanistic reason. Is there some? There is some biological reason. That would you. Are. I come to that. <laughs> It's still speculative. For, for these two, it's speculative. For this one, it's completely well known. Maybe not. <coughs> what? Maybe not. Maybe not here? Oh, yeah, I know you. Experimental data. <laughs> okay. So uh, that's true. The experimental data is not that. Uh, yeah, uh, anyhow. Good. So here we. You can make some mites with no oscillations. Right. Here we play physicists, so we reduce. So we start with these genetic networks and we reduce to the core feedback loops. And this is at some point, uh, sometimes uh, I use some of you biologists, I don't know what you say to this. So we delete the downstream uh, uh, links in the network that we feel have no uh, part of the feedback loop. <coughs> And of course, you can question this, but we are interested in oscillations. 
And here you see the NF kappa B system. It promotes the, what's called I kappa B messenger. I kappa B uh, is another part of the NF kappa B loop, and they bind in a complex. It's well known, so it has a negative effect. Uh, P53 promotes another protein called MDM2. They bind in a complex, and therefore it will take away the free amount of P53. Also here, the beta catenin promotes axine. They bind in a complex. It's all uh, promoted by wind, and there's a negative uh, effect this way. So you see, I have in all these three genetic uh, systems, we have taken the liberty to reduce it to three uh, coupled nonlinear differential equations in all cases. And how do we do this? For instance, we always say the complex is in equilibrium. And then you can do Michaelis-Menten inversion. And, and long story, my postdoc Sandeep Krishna was, was and is an expert in this. Now he's back in India. And uh, it's a little bit long story. For instance, this one took us uh, many, many months to do this. But uh, we came down to a simplified system. And maybe I say already now, for the experimental data that's available, we could explain um, everything with this model. We get the right, uh, so, so we get here what we call spiky oscillations at NF kappa B. The inhibitor is out of phase. With that, I'll show you the data in a second. Uh, we get the right time uh, constant, two hours. Uh, we could see when there's oscillations, when they're not, and, and things like this. Also here you see kind of what we call spiky oscillations of P53, and out of phase with that is, is MDM2 and similar over here. Of course, these are very beautiful. It's what we call deterministic. The, the, the biological data are very noisy and so on, yes? You said that you took a complex network and, and reduced it to the most important part. Is there any systematic way of how you can do this reduction, or you just try to it's guess? Excellent question, and uh, I would say only partly yes. Uh, we have followed the same, the same uh, uh, procedure every year, as they say, in um, in all three cases. You take the you take the complex formation, you, you equilibrate that to zero. You say it's an equilibrium. You invert, and so on. But it's not all. It also takes a little bit of of, of oil, and. Uh, it's uh, the the answer is only partly yes. <laughs> I, have, I have a similar question to one yes. that was asked before. Is there any phenotypic consequence of these oscillations? Because P fifty three is involved in a huge pathway. Yes. And the presumption and if fifty three stays up for a long time, the okay. cell dies and okay. a bunch of things are going on. So there are other Can I take a step here? Uh, is a hypothesis what happened for P fifty three? Okay. Is that uh, people reveal? So, 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 what do you do? What do you do? I, I show the data in a second. This is uh, work at Harvard at Galit Lab, where they, I thought maybe she could be one to to invite here, but that's another story. Uh, so, you irradiate uh, uh, cells, which are, by the way, cancer-like cells, and what happens is that cell cycle stops. It's believed that during these oscillations will take some hours. Uh, it tries to repair the DNA. If the DNA is repaired, it's fine. If DNA is not repaired, it should go up to which it, it does in basically all cases. And if it's not repaired, and if it doesn't go up to so your, your, your claim is that the time scale of the oscillation is correlated with 
the time over which the cell makes a decision about Yes, absolutely. But for that, you need experimental data. Yes, yes, but, but, but I'll show you. They, they have lots of, lots of data here. Um, but it's the, it's a higher hypothesis, uh, I, I would say. And, uh, yeah. But I come back to, for the case of the, the embryos, it's, 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 it's fairly well known. Lawrence, can I ask you a question? Yes. About the state of art in coming up with these models. Yes. Uh, they, they, they all seem to have terms which look somewhat sigmoidal. It's not absolutely all... true, Greg. A very good point that I. These are sigmoidal, this is sigmoidal, this is sigmoidal. Degradation is sigmoidal. So, degradation, saturation, or I think Goldbeter called it enzymatic degradation. It's completely essential to induce oscillations. If you put a linear term here, 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 there are no oscillations. So you need this kind of nonlinear time delay uh, thing here. It's a very good point. Is there any other way to have a term with the time delay other than that particular um, type of term? Uh, no, because uh, then, as I showed you in the beginning, you could put in an uh, explicit time delay. That would work. Uh -huh. but Actually, we felt after have done this in the first papers we wrote. You put it in, in a functional. Form. Yes, in a functional form. T minus. We felt that was a little bit cheating, uh -huh. and that's why we went. Uh, you know, then where the first student did <laughs> time delay, which biologically makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot of sense to time delay, but we failed as as physicists to say that uh, that now let's try to do without time delay, and then it turned out, and this is really my. My postdoc Sandeep, uh, who who figured that they all they all come they all come this sigmoid, and that is essential for the oscillations. Yes. So yeah, well, when Greg mentioned the sigmoid, so the uh, is just Michaelis Menten like term enough, or do they actually need the cooperativity like? Oh oh okay okay, yes 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 you ha uh, generally need the cooperativity which seems to have disappeared here actually. Uh, I don't you see a hill coefficient here. But in general, we have maybe, not necessarily that cooperative, but of, often you have uh, maybe two. Uh, no, but I'm asking if there is no cooperative, you just have a linear Michaelis. Yeah, but I mean, uh, as you can see here, it also, it also works here because you would have had, you would have had a, a, a cooperativity effect in these terms. And, and uh, so these are linear. <coughs> It works. To be very to be very mathematical, the higher the cooperativity, the easier it is to induce oscillations. Mm -hmm. the, the Hopf bifurcation comes earlier, kind of. Uh, there are well-known theories about this in Murray book and, and all kind of things. So it's true, but uh, it also works without, yeah, because because you get this nonlinearity in the Michaelis-Menten inversion kind of thing. <coughs> I, I mean, here, of course, as I said, there's a lot of the three graduate student work, several years and so on. And I just want to, to tell you a little bit that we feel this kind of, these, by the way, oscillations are all of the orders hours. So it's not circadian. It's called ultranian nowadays, ultranian timescales. And, and by the way, these are, it's not that old, right? The first P53 oscillation was seen 10 years ago. The first uh, NF kappa B oscillation was, uh, say, seven, eight years ago, and so on. So, so it's it's not that old kind of thing. These are actually, say, I think, from 2004 by Mike White, a very nice experiment in in Liverpool or and Manchester. He's moving back and forth. Here you see red NF kappa B is red, the inhibitor is green, 
And what you see here, oops, here it goes after one hour into the nucleus, then goes out again, then goes into a nucleus again, out again, and in. And here you see some cells. And actually here comes another issue, which is in some sense more interested for this program, is whether they are in synchrony or not. Now we look at single cells, but actually it's a very interesting point to, to check whether these kind of individuals oscillating cells do synchronize in the long run, and so on. And these are the data. What do you see? The spikes of N-Kappa-B out of phase is the inhibitor I-Kappa-B, very much like we found. But of course, here you have a noise on top. Some people say there looks to be a period on top here. I don't know. But you have, of course, uh, biological data are much more noisy than uh, data in physics. It's uh, uncomfortable, but I also feel it's a challenge. <coughs> and I just wanted to show you here how <laughs> we say we go from a seven-variable model. And here you see, uh, uh, where are we? NF-kappa B promotes I-kappa B that translate that goes inside again and forms a complex with N-kappa B goes outside. External signal comes and breaks down the I-kappa B, frees NF-kappa B goes inside again, and so on in this loop. And here we have all the complexes, blah, 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 we put to zero. Uh, you also do a little bit more. Some variables are slaved of other variables, and, and, and so, so, so it's not a, it's, it's, it takes some time to, to do this reduction. Can we go back again on the previous slide? Yep. So what is the oscillation that you're really most interested in here, the oscillation between different subcellular compartments or oscillations of total amounts? Because um, if I read, if I understand what this graph is saying, it's saying at times when I have more nuclear protein, I also have more cytoplasmic protein. So I'm not sure why that is interesting. Uh, right. Because there's just more everywhere. But uh, well, you know, yeah, it's, 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 it's a very, very good point. So here, of course, as I showed you, right, you see that Right. When so it's there, inside, but then you have very little. Yeah, but at 380 minutes, that difference is less pronounced. That is certainly true. Uh, that uh, is certainly true. It's yeah. Not my favorite, like, I guess in in uh, in our modeling here, we think about nuclear. Okay, so that's really what you're interested yes. in. Is that yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. So I am here. So this was the kind of uh, model I showed you before. So you see here that actually here you see there is a cooperativity effect in that you need to uh, NF-kappa B to bind, to get the mesh of I, and so on, but the, the, the degradation terms are, are without cooperativity. Um, I just, uh, yeah, now I show you where, uh, these are fairly recent data of Marcus Cohort from Stanford, also NF-kappa B cells. Actually, by the way, all these cells are HeLa cells or whatever they are, and you know, they're all kind of sick, sick cells, right? Because uh, Apparently, you get much better response in these kind of cells, but you guys are more uh, expert on this than I am. But you see now, for single cells, he can go on with oscillations quite long. And what's the y-axis? Uh, y is concentration again. Okay, yeah. irrespective of where inside the cell it is. Yeah, I, uh, actually, uh, I'm not sure in this case, okay. to, to be honest. Okay. I would guess it's nuclear, but actually, I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I just, uh, from, from a sort of uh, modeling point of view, you see it begins really to look something now. I showed you a few oscillations before. Now they can get these things to oscillate for several days. And I think Alita at Howard, she has a P53 oscillating for 
for almost a week uh, if it doesn't go apoptotic and, and things like this. So I have actually begun to make uh, what we call an analysis. I actually have the graph in the end, but I don't want to confuse you, but you can do what's called embedding of these kind of signals. And then actually some look chaotic and some don't. So we are getting there. Uh, what are the three series? What? Are three different experiments? It's simply three different cells. Uh, by the way, this is a year ago. I go to visit him on my way home from here, and uh, I mean, data is improving, improving, improving. And this is good from a modeling point of view. Uh, so these are the, that I talked about now uh, from, from Galit Lahav, a group at Harvard, who is really expert on P53 oscillation, I guess, together with We Alone and uh, um, Levine, they discovered it the first time. So what you do is you irradiate single cells. Here I think uh, P53 is green and MDM2 is, is, is red. Actually, it's not so, such clear pictures. I'm sorry for this. But here you actually see quite noisy time series, but clearly it goes up and down. And you always see that the peak of P53 is just before the peak of uh, MDM2, which is the work Simona and I did some years ago where we actually looked at, at when the peaks come uh, according to each other with the phases and so on. It's another story. And here you see uh, all other recent uh, data. So you see many, many uh, several days they can now sustain uh, uh, this kind of oscillation. So as the hypothesis we discussed before, it tries to repair the DNA. Uh, but if it cannot, in the end, it should go apoptotic. And this, I, I believe, is what happens uh, simply after a few days that, that the cell simply dies. <coughs> okay, I already showed this. So this is a, a kind of hypothesis uh, why, why you have, the, have these oscillations. Okay, and here is, uh, I had another student, Alex Hunziker, who looked at the P53, and just to, just to show you the kind of thing, so we did the reduction, we take into the complex, we have the free proteins, we have the messenger, and we just write, uh, this is, as uh, you see before, we did Michaelis Menten, we just write all the production term, all the degradation term, and all the other terms, and this is a kind of standard approach we are doing. <coughs> Uh, we have all kind of stress responses for P53. I think uh, it, it gets too detailed. But here I come to a little bit interesting point, at least for some of us, that uh, there's a recent paper by Galit Lahavu, Elon, and so on again, a press paper where they looked at this uh, signal and say, okay, it oscillates, it's, it's clearly quite noisy. That's for sure. We have looked at what we call deterministic models. These are these differential equations, uh, and they do not have any noise. That's why we get this uh, little bit too. Let me just show you nice looking oscillations, right? There's no, no noise on top, but the experiment, experiment often looks like this. So then they got up with a somewhat, <laughs> uh, what should I say, um, uh, controversial or, or a very interesting model. Very, very simple model. That this is the level of P53, this is the level of MDM2. It's a linear model. It's just what we call a two-by-two two matrix. It's just a completely linear model. And if you forgot these, these uh, N1 and N2 a second, that, uh, that's the system of linear differential equation of two variables. We have a stable fixed point in zero that both x 
and y would just be completely constant, zero and zero. Um, uh, yeah. Ooh, that's that's the whole point. Here you see, by the way, that axy is negative because why? Because MDM2 inhibits p53, so that should be negative. What about uh, p53 promotes MDM2? This should be positive, and they just took the number 0.8 and. Very, very simple here, but I think there's some nice logic around. You now do this matrix and you calculate the eigenvalues. Of course, it must be complex. Why, by the way? <laughs> because we need to excite it and then it has to go around. So if it wasn't complex, it wouldn't work. This, this uh, very nice thinking I think these people did. Uh, extremely simple. Well, here you see, by the way, here you see without noise, oh, it oscillates, zoom, goes to zero. Yeah, this is the insert here and has complex eigenvalues. It must have. Now you add noise. What does noise mean to you, biologists? Just you add a random term here. That's not always the same, so it varies in time. You just add noise here, and then you, you seem to uh, uh, excite um, uh, noisy oscillations uh, around zero. Why is that? You have a fixed point, of course, uh, in x, y. Did you take a, a photo of this? Oh, did, yeah, you can erase it. <laughs> so you have, of course, x, y, x, y. You have a fixed point, and we just agreed there is a complex eigenvalue, so it's stable. But oh, it, oh, now so there's a light. There's yeah. a light on oh. the, to your right there. Light, 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 light. Behind the, no, no, behind behind the, the box. <laughs> switch on the wall. Yes, thank you. So you, of course, have complex eigenvalues, so it goes in here. But now we have this noisy term, so it kicks it out. And then and it, it kicks all the time, right? And therefore, you'll get noisy oscillations around the fixed point. This is exactly what happens. Because maybe, oh, I want to be stable. I want to go in. But then it's kicked away again. I want to go in. It's kicked away. So this is, in some sense, I think, incredibly simple. But it kind of works. By the way, Simone, does the maximum, I just thought about it, <laughs> does the maximum 53 Always <laughs> comes before. I'm not sure about that issue, by the way. This work are both numerical or non-dimensional? Oh, oh, oh! Sorry, sorry, sorry. This is uh, experimental. Sorry, this is experimental. Uh, shit, it comes later. Okay. What happened? No, 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 no. I, I, I confuse myself. I confuse myself. What the hell am I saying? Just a second. This. No, I'm, I'm sorry. This is the model. I already showed you over here. Here, experiment. Here, experiment. Sorry, I got confused. This is a model. So, in, unfortunately, this is in vitro. The experiment was in vitro. They had to synchronize the cells. Yeah. So it's not I, clear that any of this happens. Okay. Can you tell me this? Because the cells are, of course, alive. But you take out cells, right? Is that what you call vitro? No, no. In, they were grown in a dish, right? They were growing in a dish, and they were synchronized to start the cell cycle. Otherwise, you will not measure this at all, because every cell is, mm. is uh, not coherent with every other cell. But in, yeah. in vivo, does this have any functional consequence? That's, that's yeah, yeah, that's a good, good point. Uh, uh, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, of course, the cells are alive, right? But, uh, oh, sure. But, but uh, this is what you guys call V3. Yeah? Sometimes, some, OK, I have discussed that before with whatever it's called. But anyhow, yes. Uh, you're right. Uh, what happens inside a body? Yeah. If rather than synchronizing at the beginning of the experiment, they just back sorted them according to uh, 
mitotic phase, then possibly it would be more relevant to in vivo. But yeah. I don't know how this experiment was done. But then, but then you would have to worry about the time scales. Are the time scales universal across yeah, yeah. cells, or do they vary? Yeah. No, no. They, uh, sorry, Simon. This is model. And by the way, relating to what we did some years ago, that might be an interesting thing to look at. Anyhow, uh, you see here, here you actually have a completely linear model uh, that gives uh, quite, a, quite good results. And it's, they just published this uh, to, to us, extremely simple model in, in, in class. So, you know, it's, it's a nice paper. In some sense, a very, very simple uh, thinking. I don't know how much, uh, okay, I should probably talk a little bit about this, but we have also looked at this somite formation. This is uh, either mouse or chick, I cannot see, but anyhow. So it's, it's well known that in the tail part here of, uh, of the embryo, you have several oscillating um, uh, proteins sitting. And what happens, I think, is quite nice, that for each period, which take a few hours, you put one part of the spinal cord, one somite, then another period, then another period, then another period, another period. So it's very, very deterministic that in all vertebrates like us, the oscillation protein will form our, our spinal cord. And by the way, after 28 or whatever, seven or five, I forget, it stops. No one knows how it stops. But lots of us has worked on how you can, how, how you can get clocks in there. And it's an old idea. Uh, going back to various people, that you have this tailboard here, you have oscillating proteins, and you also have a gradient, a wind gradient. And then it's, uh, the, uh, the model is that you have a coupling between clocks, clocks and gradients, and when the gradient is below a certain level, then you set a somite. <coughs> and many people there, Hupuakui and Aulela and Goldbeta and so on, have looked at this very, very nice uh, uh, so my uh, formation. I'll just show you that uh, we also did the same. We also did a genetic network. This is work by Luke Peterson. Uh, blah blah blah. Uh, try to find the. Try to see whether we could find this this uh, clock. And indeed, we could find uh, sustained oscillations, damped oscillations, uh, steady state, depending on uh, the wind, uh, the level of the, of the wind. I, I could go much in detail, but I think. Uh, we, I shouldn't keep you too long to, today. So, so maybe, maybe in the end here I come to, to the end of where I, I started. That um, now I've shown you that there are lots of these oscillations. Uh, one can debate what is the medical, biological reason, but surely they oscillate. And um, so we have system cells that have internal oscillations of P53, NF kappa B, and so on. And now we began to think about if we put in an external signal that also oscillate, what would happen? And we took the NF kappa B system and put in a cytokine that's called tumor necrosis factor signal. And, and experimentally, now Mike White is doing this. So it's not, not a problem. You can just uh, flush uh, a certain level of TFN, either sinusoidal, or you can have step functions or whatever. And then the question is whether we can see these Arnold tones. Can we synchronize the internal? And here it's clear what's internal, Greg. Uh, can we synchronize the internal in a single cell with this external? And so that's what I did with Sandeep. And uh, there is very little literature on this. I have to say I found two I want to show you here. Jeff Hasty has a beautiful paper in Science last year where he has a synthetic oscillator in, in bacteria. 
<coughs> and uh, these are the oscillating genes here. Uh, and you, there's GFP attached, and you see nice oscillations. Then he can put in a rabinose, which promotes uh, this, uh, this, uh, these oscillating genes. You can see here oscillation, external oscillations of a rabinose. So here it's also very clear that this is external, this is internal. Um, and by the way, you see when you have a peak here, you see uh, that you promote uh, a peak again in, 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 uh, with the DFP here. And anyhow, so he looked at a huge uh, population of cells in sort of microfluidic, uh, I, mean, I tried to read yesterday, uh, device. Um, good. So he found, what do we have here? We have, we have the forcing period. So the forcing period is this one. This is this, you see, TF, external period. N, uh, TN is the natural period of the system, which you don't indicate, but ought to be this one. <coughs> uh, that's the natural period of the internal system. And then you see here you have the Arabinos uh, uh, strength, I guess, amplitude. Uh, of the external rabinos, and he saw here that very, very nice one-to-one Armstrong, and what he calls two-to-one. Actually, James, I think I will call it one-to-two, because you see this is one-half, uh, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, so so, so he, he can, in this uh, synthetic oscillator, which he actually has built to look like a circadian system. I, I'm not quite sure why, but we, of course we know a circadian system oscillate a lot. He could see very, very nice uh, Arnold Tongs experimentally. Doubling of the internal oscillator. What? Yeah, yeah, good point. I was looking at that too, right? Look here. That first comes back after two. He says this is a period. I would call this a period. So uh, this is an interesting well, the issue. Unperturbed oscillator probably has the short period, so it's it's, it's period doubling. It is, uh, as we well know, there's here doubling inside, and as we discussed, very technical thing, this amplitude, of course, much higher than this, and that's maybe sign of a peer doubling. I exactly had the same thought. <coughs> the other paper I could find is a very recent paper by Goldbeater, and that's actually only a model. But I think it's, it's really nice that there's a, a kind of standard. <laughs> I'm not cell cycle. Uh, cell cycle e e expert at all. Of course, we know there are lots of Tyson, uh, Novak, blah, 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 model for cell cycle. And uh, here's uh, Goldbeater's idea here is, oh, could one think that cell cycle coupled to circadian rhythm? Um, and uh, what's shown here in this diagram, I think it's quite interesting. Here you have the internal period of the cell cycle. So that apparently, I think with this V1, you can vary uh, quite a lot. Actually, you can vary over many hours, uh, from one hour up to so and so. So you can change the internal cell cycle. But then his point is, oh, one could think that uh, the circadian clock would come and, and couple to this. And what you see here is the following, that uh, down here, of course, circadian is 24 hours, we all know. So, okay, if the coupling between the cell cycle and the <coughs> circadian is, um, 
is not very strong, well, of course, uh, uh, cell, cell cycle must, must be the same. But he can actually then, what does this Arnold tongue here mean? It's the following, that uh, with, without any coupling between circadian and cell cycle, well, the period of the cell cycle is maybe six hours. But if you couple them strongly enough, suddenly he entrained, as we say, the cell cycle to become 24. Uh, continue, uh, right? So in this area here, is this, is this clear? In this area, uh, the cell cycle is entrained to be 24 hours, even though it would like to be uh, 6, 7, blah, 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 whatever, actually up to even uh, for 40 hours, he can, he can vary the cell cycle in this uh, interval, but the circadian uh, clock will come and lock to it, such that the cell cycle is entrained. Is it clear? Mm, not to everybody, I can see. Portuguese group that's done experiments. What? There's a Portuguese group that's done experiments on that. Okay, yeah. Uh, there are experiments by Lefang on, I think, Drosophila uh, or something there. They sim simply put insects into circadian um, uh, rhythm of not 24 hours, but maybe 20 uh, and so on. But coupling to cell cycle, I, I don't know. But what happens in very strong couplings? Uh, that is a very good question again, because there we think it becomes chaotic. Because inside here, and uh, James is a world expert, uh, expert on that, lots of things happen. When you come up here, it will be chaotic. And why? a good way to see it is when the tongue starts to overlap, it will be chaotic. I'll show you in a second. Is it true that the system um, said that, that the um, circadian rhythm isn't exogenous, if that's the right, isn't external? Because the circadian rhythm is generated by a genetic network within the cell, which is going to be influenced by the cell cycle and other things. The point of uh, <laughs> was what, what Greg said, right? So you are kind of saying, oh, there could be a feedback back to change the circadian. Yeah, right. Good point. I but you can apply light to train the circadian. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I, I think I am coming to the end. I think we shouldn't break set ahead one and a half hour. I think then you will breathe after oxygen. So uh, I will I'll soon stop. So, so what we did was to take NF kappa B system and come with an external. We know that oscillate here internal oscillations. These are kind of what we call spiky. And we come with the external cytokine TNF signal. It goes through some steps and, and so on and so forth. And uh, what we find is that here we have a sinusoidal. You see this is one to one. The internal, the red one, couples to the external beautifully, completely synchronized. What do we have here? Two periods of the external to one period of the internal. It's a one to two. And here we have three. One, two, three. Each time there's one internal. And uh, sometimes we get like this, that you have the external green and internal red, and uh, it, it, it doesn't lock at all. And it looks uh, uh, sort of confused, and we get a chaotic signal. A very clear prediction to our biologist friends that what exactly they should do. And now they try to do this in both at Stanford and in, in Liverpool. So what we get is these nice, nice Arnold tongues. 
uh, we can also do a square wave that just works just as well, or you could do a spiky wave. Externally, it would work just as well. We have tried all three. That's, again, the little bit universality of this uh, Arnold Tong story. Here's the external period. Here's the coupling. And you can do the external how, how, how is easiest biologically, so to say, uh, as long as there just is a period. That's all you need. <coughs> and to answer your question, what happens up here when they overlap? And you take a point here, and you get something like this. A response, something like this. You get a chaotic response. You cannot figure if the tongues overlap. It cannot figure whether it belongs to this tongue or to that tongue. And therefore, it behaves chaotically. <coughs> it kind of gets confused. Here we have for the sine wave, uh, you see a nice uh, Arnold tongues coming up. I will end just by, OK, here. So now I hope you understand this diagram, at least. It's uh, quite rich and has a lot of things in there. and. I can tell you a lot about it later, but I think enough for today. Well, I just want to end. I showed this to Yalon uh, last year, and he said, oh, this is uh, very, very interesting. Yes? So in the previous diagram, so you said like you can reach any rational number. Yes. Why are there so many white spaces? <laughs> That's because I, I couldn't draw it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all because of that. It's he there. Only, okay. He only chose the famous. <laughs> Rational numbers. Yeah, well, good point, but I, I'm sorry. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, they're too tiny. So I showed this to Elon and said, oh, this is very interesting. Let's uh, then get this idea. Let's say we have a kind of linear system as, uh, as he has for the P53, and you come with an external signal. Or I have an NF kappa B system that's very nonlinear, and I come with an external signal. And our, he is right, at least to some extent, in the following. Let me say what, what Uwe's idea was, and it seems to work. If you have a linear system, the external and internal would always follow each other. Actually, you can prove it. If you just have a two-by-two two matrix and so on, you can prove, done by Namiku, my colleague Namiku, that it follows completely. So if you have a kind, and you, you say, oh, I have oscillations. Are they noise-induced in a linear system, or are they very nonlinear? I come with the external signal. If I see all the subharmonics, it's nonlinear. If I only see this one, it's linear. This is the idea. And we have worked on this, and it kind of works. And here comes the equations. I, uh, I will not. I will just show you here the kind of results. So you see here, you, we have a system. Uh, without noise, you need to add the noise, as also we did. You have a dif differential equation, fairly simple, and you add noise, which we do here. If you do not have noise, then the limit cycle, of course, works. And here the external, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, at this point there's no uh, external, it just oscillates. It's a van der Poel uh, limit cycle and it oscillates. The linear, of course, goes to zero. The nonlinear, uh, nonlinear means not a limit cycle, but with a small nonlinear term. Okay, all right. This is technical now. Uh, now, if you add noise, of course, you still have the limit cycle oscillation, and now you induce in the linear system by by just by noise, you induce these oscillations uh, we saw before. Uh, we alone did. Okay, 
And now, so here of course it goes to zero with a noise here. Now I come with an external oscillator. I add an external oscillator. What do I see? I see here that the external oscillator is a blue one. It synchronizes completely here to the oscillations. This is uh, one to two, right? There's two, uh, there's two internal to one external. This is the nonlinear case. In the linear case, they follow each other completely. So it completely locks to the one-to-one tone. And so you see, therefore, you can, by adding an external oscillator to an internal one, here you will have all the subharmonics. My last graph today here. You will have all the the Arnold tongues. In the linear case, which is over here, you will only only see the one-to-one. <clears throat> so therefore, uh, if you have an oscillating system and you put an external oscillator on, you can check whether it's strongly nonlinear or it's close to linear system. And it could be a way to play a little bit with oscillations inside cells, in for cell cycle for I don't know what. Yes. So why in this case one of the tongues takes over? Why does it not get chaotic when they start over? Up here, yeah. it does. It does, <laughs> because um, here will be some overlap, which uh, it seems Namiko hasn't quite got it. You see, so when you have an overlap, it depends on the initial condition whether you belong to one tongue or the other tongue, and uh, it's, it's it's a little tricky. Um, I am done, and now I have talked about James' fantastic results uh, many years ago. Here they are. And you see in the fluid system in in the basement of Chicago, we could get tongues up to incredible precision. And we, uh, it was really Joel Starmans who worked on this for four years. And he cried when he, he always tells me so the first tongues, because it was really tough. And he could get uh, tongues to incredible precision. And this is really what James did inside uh, one of the big tongs. You see, it's a zoo you cannot uh, imagine. Um, and we kind of understand all this. And uh, so that's where we were in physics uh, 20 years ago. And uh, uh, I, think, I think biology is getting there. I should end. Thank you. Well, a lot of questions. Yeah. I think there might still be some <laughs> questions. Jane. Uh, I guess uh, there are a couple of, of comments on this. It, it, it's interesting to see the NF kappa B and the, and the P53 because they're, they're potentially very different from what's happening in somitogenesis. Um, first thing is that you should always, well, it always has to be careful when you say what is the purpose of these oscillations. The, the purpose of a negative feedback to stabilize the value is, is clear. But it may simply be that in many cases, when you have negative feedback and delays, which you have automatically in all these biological systems, and you want to have some quasi-homeostasis, that it's very easy to drive these systems into oscillations. And they persist because they don't do any harm. They may not actually have any functionality at all. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and one of the problems when you do these, what we were talking earlier about this danger of population averages, is that probably in most cells, most of the times, many, if not most, genes are in fact oscillating. You, know, you, you think so? Yeah. But. And, and so, I mean, in the sense. Because you think there will always be some local negative feedback loop around a certain. Right. Yeah. Now, as you also people have pointed out, that the, the situations in which you're studying these particular cells are non physiological. And so you're putting them in a situation where, that, where they may be oscillating, which they wouldn't do in vivo. But, but it's very hard to tell because if you, if you can't look at individual cells, you can't, when you do population average, you're going to wash it out. Mm. You're not sick. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so um, I mean, you certainly look at segment segmentation. There are thousands of genes that are entrained to your three oscillators. And so, I mean, one of the things that we've talked about before is if you go back to, to, to Goldbetter and Courbier, there are at least three independent oscillators inside each cell which have to entrain. That's very peculiar because the only thing it seems to do is make the synchronization worse. Uh, so, and then there's this issue about how then you... So basically you say there are so many oscillators they might wash each other out. Is that no, I'm not, well, I'm not saying that. Uh -huh. I'm saying that. All I'm saying is that experimentally if you take a blob of tissue and homogenize it, and you have unsynchronized oscillators, you won't see that there's oscillation. So, so, but, but in the case of the segmentation, the, there are three things that we bump up our head, we have three things that we bump our heads against. One is the fact that you have these three independent oscillators inside each cell, so they have to synchronize. The only synchronization between cells that we know of is delta notch. That only synchronizes one of those oscillators. So then, when you want to synchronize between cells, you have to drag the other two oscillators with you. And that means that synchronization is slow. Experimentally, synchronization is very fast. And so, one of the things that would be very interesting to me, which you don't show here, is what the synchronization transients are. How many mm -hmm. oscillations does it mm -hmm. take mm -hmm. to get synchronization? Mm -hmm. Because in the experiments, the synchronization happens over two or three oscillations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have any mathematics that I could write down that's, that the, the oscillators that we write down here don't synchronize that fast. They synchronize <laughs> over 10 oscillations, 15 oscillations. But in the experiments, okay. they synchronize over two or three oscillations. Good point. And I don't know how to do that. Now, Nancy Capel says that she has magic ways of getting fast synchronization. But I don't see how it would relate those to the, the oscillators that we're writing down here. And so I, I would suggest that looking at the transients <coughs> mm -hmm, synchronization mm -hmm. and, and how those depend on parameters and structure is actually very, very important. Good point. Apparently, that means the real system is more nonlinear, maybe, than, yes. than we think, right? right. Now, the, your, your, your example, your earliest example of a linear oscillator, we know these systems can't, I mean, there's no way they're, os they're, they're linear. They can't be linear. Whether they're strongly non No, but they, exactly, way, that's what I mean. That's another question. Exactly, that's, uh, and, exactly. And again, this particular delta notch coupling that we're talking about winds up not being very good at synchronizing things. Mm -hmm. And it would be nice if one could, could have some mathematical argument that says there must be some other 
interest intercellular signaling that is supplementing the delta notch. Is this, is this rate of synchronization independent or more or less independent of the Hill coefficients? Yes. So, well, certainly the, the, the only Hill coefficient that matters in the synchronization is the nonlinearity in the delta notch couple. And that doesn't do You say, Greg, the higher the hill, maybe the faster? Well, what you were thinking? I'm, no, I actually suspect that what James said is correct. But any sort of switch will give more or less the same. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not rate of synchronization in this model doesn't, doesn't help. Yeah. And then the, the third thing in the third I said three, but there are people. The third thing is, of course, it's something like sunlights. Um, you're actually integrating signal from multiple neighbors. And therefore, you have not only a single pair of oscillators you try to synchronize, but you're actually trying to do synchronization among multiple oscillators simultaneously. Yeah. And that, of course, brings in all sorts of other complications. Um, when you simulate it, they synchronize fairly quickly. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is the segmentation seems to start, doesn't care about the synchronization. In the paper we published of Susan's, that you get one or two bad somites and then you get perfectly nice somites, even though the oscillators actually take five or six cycles to synchronize. So even before the oscillators are synchronized properly, they're still producing nice somites. And then we have these new experiments that we're working with, with uh, Claudio Stern, and he's able to produce somites with no oscillations at all. Words, we can we can generate tissue where we turn off all of the oscillations. We can check their their gone. Are you sure they are all gone? Sorry. Are you sure they are all gone? Well, I would is an oscillating her one is an oscillating <laughs> is an oscillating uh -huh. uh, lunatic fringe is an oscillating uh, axon two is an oscillating. None of the molecules we think are important are oscillating. Now, that doesn't mean something else isn't oscillating, but if, if, if okay. in particular, if delta notch aren't oscillating, and they're the only things that are coupling. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so Claudio, it's very, very radical, and it's certainly not something we wanted to hear. His contention is that it's just this whole synchronization, this whole synchronization oscillation is just an epiphenomenon. It's very mm -hmm. pretty. Mm -hmm. It gives you one possible, one sufficient explanation for what you observe. It just happens not to be the one that's actually operational in the tissue. Awesome. Is that what we said? No. I'm not supposed to be talking about it. I didn't hear anything. That's so hilarious. It's sitting on my desk. The paper is sitting on my desk. But I, I, my first said was, well, these things that you're producing aren't so much. You know, then you look at every possible marker of, of, of uh, epithelialization, segmentation, and so on. They, they, they express every segmentation marker you want. I, I, I don't have any way around. And we built a simulation, which is also not published yet, uh, which I'm also supposed to not talk about, which actually produces what look like perfectly good somites with all these networks in place, but with no oscillations. Um, Who is doing these experiments? You said? Uh, it's Claudio Stern, and Julia is doing the, is doing the simulations. So, that, so there are three three things. One. Are these oscillations functional? They may be sometimes and they may not. Two, 
how do you get fast synchronization? Because these biological systems tend to seem to synchronize very fast, and they synchronize even in the in the presence of conflicting signals. We have multiple inputs potentially with all sorts of different phases, <coughs> and then. Uh, Well, that, that was combining the issue of speed of synchronization and then uh, synchronization in the presence of uh, conflicting signals. So three oscillator, multiple oscillators. So it, it's, it's all very beautiful. And I think you can clearly get cells to do this. People like, like Joe Pomeranian at IU, right? you can hit, he does cycles. And you hit the you hit the cells the right way, and you get the signals to do all sorts of funny synchronized oscillation. Um, but uh, so so the question to me always with these things is, if we're using the biology to do beautiful physics, that's great. But is the, then the physics may not be actually telling us anything that's biologically meaningful. And so, especially if the biology isn't telling us anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that the dream here, by the way, I try to indicate, say for V53 could be that you could maybe potentially influence the DNA repair uh, pathway, right? Uh, by coming with an external signal. But normally you want the cell to die. If the cell repairs its DNA and then goes okay, to proliferating, you've got a problem right. because you've locked in a mess. That's true. But uh, but say then, yeah, okay. But I mean, you could influence uh, the, the, the internal dynamics there externally. It's sure. I mean, again, and, and if, could if be. the mechanism exists, yeah. then it's available for evolution to use it for something functional, whether it's always used functionally or not. It's a pre-adaptation, right? But, but, uh, but, but this, 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 this experiment, these experiments of Claudio really have shaken What did you life. write here before I came this, model, uh, this morning? What are models for? Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't write that. <laughs> but these experiments of Claudio really shaken my whole, I mean, we started right with segmentation, and you get these beautiful in your in the in the in the those Japanese experiments that you cited. You get those beautiful apparent traveling waves of, exactly. of lunatic fringe, exactly. and they're not traveling waves. They're 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 pseudo waves. They're just a they're just a side effect of the fact that you're going You cut the tissue in half, that you'll the the, the the pattern of lunatic fringe will, will will continue exactly as if. You haven't cut the tissue in half, so there's no communication of information. So you say the gradient is essential for these waves. Or? All you have is you have you have oscillators where the phase of the oscillators ah. is different. Is the frequency of the oscillators is different, mm. so you get a phase drift, and that gives you because you have a narrow band. The result of that phase drift is that mm. you get an apparent different wave. Mm. But a wave, I mean, from a physics point of view, you can't have well, if you have two disconnected pieces, the wave can't propagate from here to there. But it does, mm. which means it's not a wave. It's a mm. wave. Mm -hmm. So, so the fact that there, that there are these visual analogies doesn't necessarily mean mechanisms. So, I, mean, I think what you're doing is beautiful. I think it's probably very significant. I'm just, I'm just. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm most appreciate your comments. It's not I would love help on rapid synchronization. <laughs>